So we ended last time in the opening verses of, uh, what do I have to do? Not that, not that. There we go. Of Second uh, Chronicles 20. And uh, uh, if you remember what was happening, the Israelites under King Jehoshaphat, this is in the 800s BC, uh, found that there was uh, a, 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 three, a group of three armies coming at them from across the Dead Sea. And if you remember, it was the Moabites, the Ammonites, and a group called the Meonites, which I'm, I'm really happy that in our chapter they're going to be called the people from, from Mount Sair, which is a lot easier to say than the Meonites. Um, but uh, so they're coming, and now King Jehoshaphat prays. And so we're going to talk about this prayer and uh, talk about our prayers for a moment. So this is where we're at. This army is coming, threefold army. He calls it a horde. And uh, what now do we do? So Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord in front of the new courtyard. So we actually place him there in front of the temple, uh, right there in the, in the courtyard. And he said, Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God in heaven? When we start prayers, how do we usually start? Our Father, O Lord, something like that. This is a pretty good start to a prayer, right? You are ruling over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might. There is no one who can stand up against you. This is a pretty good prayer. In fact, think of who it reminds you of as we're, as we're reading it. Who else prays like this? Was it not you, our God, who drove out the inhabitants of this land in front of your people Israel? When did God drive out the Canaanites? Under Joshua, yeah. Uh, You gave it to the descendants of your friend Abraham forever. They have lived in it, and in it they have built a holy place for your name. And if disaster comes on us, the sword of judgment, plague, and famine... We will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house. We will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear and save. Does uh, that does verse nine sound like anything else in the Bible? The sword of judgment, plague, and famine. The 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 the, the phrase sword, famine, and plague occurs over and over again in Jeremiah. Um, and this prayer has other things that correspond to Jeremiah. Not, I mean, Jeremiah lived after this, maybe two, three hundred years. But I, I, I wonder if Jeremiah kind of harkens back to the good old days. And for the good old days, he's got to reach all the way back to Jehoshaphat um, and this marvelous prayer of his. So, but we'll cry out to you in our distress. You will hear and save. Now look, men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Sair have invaded When Israel came up from the land of Egypt, you did not allow Israel to invade their land. So Israel went around them and did not destroy them. In the book of Numbers, um, the Israelites are moving from Mount Sinai. They've wandered for 40 years. And now they're going to move up up to where they can cross the Jordan and get into the promised land. And the Edomites won't let them in. They have to go around. The Moabites won't let them go in. They have to go around and they're, they're, they're going out way out into the desert to do this, and they kind of come sneaking up the Arnon Gorge, 
and, and they're, they're, they're moving around and they get attacked by snakes and things like that. And, uh, but God would not allow them to attack the Moabites and so forth or the Edomites. Why? Because they're related to them. And they even said as they were coming into Canaan, uh, they sent messages to the Edomites and Moabites. Look, we're not, gonna we're not invading your land. We'll stay on the road. It's like, we'll keep to the sidewalk. You won't go on the grass. And we, we, won't, we won't even drink out of your well. We, you know, we're just going to walk through. It'll take a day or two. I know there's a million of us, but a day or two. And then we'll, get, and then we'll, we'll leave you alone. And they wouldn't, leave, they wouldn't let them. So around they would go and around they would go and around they would go. And now, verse 11, look how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out from your possession, which you have given to us as an inheritance. So the king is reminding the Lord of what he had promised to them. Uh, how do I do that? Our God, will you not judge them? For there is no power in us to face this huge horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And all Judah was standing before the Lord along with their dependents, their wives, and their children. When we talk about prayer in um, catechism class, we often use uh, this acronym. I didn't make this up, um, but many, many prayers in the Bible follow this pattern. And it's wise for us, if we're going to craft a prayer, to follow this pattern as well. What does the A, this is A-C-T-S. The A stands for... Anybody? First of all, it's address. Like, dear God, comma, that kind of thing. An address or adoration of some kind. And then C, one of two confessions. Usually it's confession of sins, but sometimes it's a confession of faith. And Josephat's prayer, it was just a confession of faith. Lord, you did this and you did this and you made promises. Thank you for that. Then that last part, the T, just gave it away. Thanks. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, so Thanksgiving of some kind. And finally, the S, which is not a word we really use anymore, but supplication. Supplication, which is not the act of having supper. Um, sup or where, where are we going to eat? That's our supplication. But no, supplications, petitions or intercessions, those kinds of things. Um, here's the actual uh, slide. So what's the difference between a petition and an intercession? Yeah, generally an intercession is on behalf of somebody else. A petition might be a statement or a request for myself, um, something like that, but an intercession often on behalf of somebody else. In the new hymnal, I, was, I began to study it to, to see what there is that's familiar, what's different, because what's the most difficult part of worship? Liturgy. Leading liturgy is by far more difficult than preaching. Um, very, very difficult to do liturgy and to do it really well. Um, it seems, if, if liturgy seems effortless to you, then the guy doing it is good. But liturgy can really be a drag if the guy doesn't do it well. Um, and the thing about liturgy is that every single congregation in the world does it differently. Even though the book says one thing, that's not what anybody does. Um, if you want examples, I'll give you examples, but that's not what happens. For example, well, one example, in our congregation, when do we sing the closing hymn quite often? 
at the very end of the service after everything else. But the closing hymn is like a page before that in the liturgy. And so, some, so sometimes we stick that in a different place. Um, how we do different things, everybody makes adjustments to the liturgy. Every, every congregation does. And I know some congregations that have tossed it out and they have a completely different thing glued into the front cover of every hymnal. You don't have to go any farther than a nearby church uh, 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 to New Alm to find a congregation where they've done that. I don't know if they're going to do that with a new hymnal or if they've already glued this old mimeographed thing of theirs into the new hymnal. But uh, one thing I have uh, found is that at the end of every scripture reading, what should the liturgist say when he finishes a scripture lesson? This is the word of the Lord, unless it's the gospel, and then he'll say, this is the gospel of our Lord. But in the new hymnal, it doesn't say that. That's what I was taught to say, and that's what the manual says you should say, but the new hymnal says just the word of the Lord. So there's a subtle difference there. Go on. So the Lord's response. The spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite from the descendants of Asaph. He was standing in the middle of the assembly. He said, so out in front of the king, there's a Levite and the, the Lord, the, the, the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he begins to prophesy right then and there and answers in the name of God. It's a pretty cool thing to, have, to happen when you've just prayed on behalf of the nation. Somebody, I mean, the Lord actually responds. Listen, all Judah, all you residents of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid. Do not be terrified because of this huge horde, for the battle is not yours, it is God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Look, they are coming up by the ascent of Ziz. You'll find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jeruel. Um, what he's talking about is this area. Um, the, the lake there is the Dead Sea. The diamond is the, uh, the city of En Gedi. That's where they came across. And last time, I don't, some of you may not have been here, but last time we showed that they may have come around the ends of the Dead Sea to get there, but I kind of think they came across on boats. It would have been quicker and easier and efficient, and you can do it under cover of night and so forth, and easier than going around. I mean, why walk if you can paddle, right? Um, so they all end up there. And now, if you see where the blue arrow is, or the yellow arrow, or the red arrow, if you saw all those, um, Tekoa is not very far from there. Tekoa is a five-mile-away suburb from Jerusalem where they raised lambs for Passover. And so the prophet Amos was one of the guys who did that, and so forth. So that's where they are. They're maybe seven miles right now from Jerusalem. This is an emergency, isn't it? What's seven miles from New Alm? SNS Motors on this side of Cortland. Yeah, it's they're, 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 they're not that far away. Uh, yeah, excellent. Um, and so uh, something's got to give here. And so the prophet continues. It is not up to you to fight this battle. Just take up your position. Stand still, Judah and Jerusalem, and see that the victory of the Lord is with you. Do not be afraid. Do not be terrified. Tomorrow, go out against them. The Lord will be with you. Um, uh, 
those of you who are currently serving teachers, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 17, stand still. It's a passage in the Bible, so you can use that in class. Yeah, stand still. All right, just wanted to point that out. Then Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the residents of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord to worship the Lord. Then the Levites from the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Um, I don't know how often this word occurs. I didn't look it up. But usually it's not Korahites. It's sons of Korah. But whether it's, this is the EHV or the NIV does the same thing. And, and it is in Hebrew, the Korahim, the Korahites. So, but these are the descendants of Korah, that guy who rebelled against Moses. And he and his family died. But we're told in, uh, in um, Numbers chapter 26 that not all of his descendants died. So some of them survived and they became musicians who contented themselves just with the worship of the true God. I mean, descendant after descendant after descendant, these sons of Korah. So that's the prayer. And uh, not to you know, give you a spoiler, but the great victory this is the next, that's what the, that's what the text says, so, or the translation. So they got up early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. Um, I have a slide of that. So this, this is what the wilderness of Tekoa looks like. I believe judging from the camel, and do you see his shadow? I think that the camel is traveling into the sunset in this picture, which would mean that we're looking kind of, sort of, toward the southwest, um, if that makes sense. So that, that this is what the geography would look like uh, doing that, and that's like a cloud, um, whatever that odd thing is, the curved thing in the, in the top. But um, at any rate, that's Tekoa. As they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and you residents of Jerusalem, have faith in the Lord your God, and you will find him to be faithful. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed." Pretty cool to have your king come out and encourage you that way as you're going out into battle. This, Jehoshaphat is not like so many other kings. Um, none of the kings of Israel were like that and very few kings of Judah. Jehoshaphat just stands head and shoulders above so many of them. So they, they go out to this place. And after he consulted with the people, he appointed singers to sing to the Lord. Who is he? Jehoshaphat. Let's just keep that in mind. It may affect something later. He appointed singers to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out ahead of the army singing, give thanks to the Lord for his mercy endures forever, which is maybe the most common line in all of the Psalms. It occurs again and again and again and again and again. Wonderful, wonderful line in the Psalms. And by the way, I don't think this is all they sang. Um, in fact, I know that they sang songs, many songs of praise. Uh, to God as they went. At the time when they began the jubilant songs of praise, oh, there is the plural, the songs of praise to the Lord, he set ambushes against the men of Ammon. Uh, who is the he here? Could it still be Jehoshaphat? Could be. Do you think it's the Lord setting ambushes? There's a question here on who is this. Um, I mean, some people might argue, does the Lord set ambushes? But yeah, kind of. Uh, and, but could the king have done it too? 
maybe, although he told the people, he was told not to do anything, to stand still. And so, is that what you're going to say, Aaron? Yeah, so maybe the Lord makes more sense here than, than the king. But I wanted to point out that there's a question about that. Um, and I don't, I don't know everything. I mean, I studied Hebrew grammar for six years and I'm still perplexed, conundrumized about, about this verse. Is that a word? Hebrew scholar, not English. All right, he said ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Sair who were marching against Judah and they were routed. What is, what is a rout in military terms? They're retreating from the battle, usually in a hurry. Yeah, yeah. When there was a rout after a certain battle early in the Civil War, the battle got named the Great Skedaddle in the newspapers. That's, that's a rout, okay? So uh, they were routed because the men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Sire to destroy them and wipe them out. So you have three attacking armies and two of the armies on the way to the battle decide, hey, let's wipe out our ally over here. Wouldn't that be convenient? And they do that. But then what happens? When they finish with the inhabitants of Sire, they help to destroy each other. So I don't exactly know uh, uh, what happened there, but you can almost imagine. So for a moment, just imagine that the, the guys from Mount Sire had really cool jerseys or helmets or jerseys um, uh, uh, outfit or, or, or something. And so a guy from Ammon picks up the cool helmet. Where, what does he do with it to save it? What would you do with it? He puts it on. Well, he just became a target. So somebody from Moab kills him and then picks up his cool helmet and, you know, and, then, and on and on it goes. And, and they, 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 end up, they end up killing each other. Um, so they're, they've come around to, 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 to go north and now they're attacking each other and attacking each other and it's just a mess. And when Judah came to a spot overlooking the wilderness, there are a lot of really tall hills. Not quite like... Uh, is it, um, am I thinking of Montana or am I thinking of, uh, of um, where are all the buttes? And is it Wyoming? Where all the buttes are in America? Those really, really tall, steep hills and stuff. Well, there's stuff a little bit like that. Very tall hills with deep valleys in, in, in Israel and Judah. And they got on top of one of those things, the Israelites, or the Judahites did. And they looked down out toward that horde and they saw nothing but dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. Yeah, they killed, they completely destroyed each other and, and whatever it was. However, if God used echoes or God used greed or God used uh, hostility and God used somebody's uh, bad attitude or whatever and maybe a uh, interrupted breakfast and, or all of the above. Yeah. Disorganization, poor communication, fear, all of those things played a role. Um, there was, uh, uh, in, the, in the American Civil War, uh, long before he became a general, um, uh, who lost the little bighorn? Um, Custer. When he was just a lieutenant. So early in his military career, he, right before the Civil War started, he graduated last in his class at West Point which was really an achievement for him. 
Um, and uh, uh, in fact, he, while he was at, at West Point, they have a system there of, of, of demerits. If you mess up, you get certain points taken off, and you can, you can earn up to 100 demerits in a year, and, and if you get more than 100, you're out. And he kept track, because he liked to fool around. And he would often rack up like 90, 96 demerits in a semester, and then he would have to be good for the rest of the year. And he did that consistently all through West Point. And when he graduated, this cheer went up like, 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 like George Washington had come back from the dead. And because they all thought he wasn't going to graduate, then he did. And well, right away after, after that achievement, he got assigned to the army of a guy named George McClellan. And after a couple of things had happened, in fact, he actually went across the lines to attend the wedding of a buddy of his who was a Confederate officer. He was best man at this wedding. And he came back and he found McClellan's army stationed at a creek I've been to um, called Bull Run. And he was there just in time to, to, to be part of the Battle of Bull Run, which is the first really big bloody battle of the Civil War. Nobody knew what they were doing. It was just a murderous fist fight. And they were moving cannons around. And, and, after, after the, and, and by the way, the, if you've ever been to the battlefield, um, you know the open area uh, on, the, on the New Elm side of MVL? where the track is and all of that. There's a big wide open area. If you double that, that's about the area of the Bull Run battlefield. It's not enormous, but it's pretty sizable. But when Custer got there, he wrote that the, the battle had moved around so much and was so confused that after the battle, he, he couldn't walk without anywhere without stepping on a wounded soldier or a dead soldier. It was just, and they, one guy called it this ghastly flooring. It was just, it was, and that's what this must have been like. Just bodies everywhere, lying on the ground. No one had escaped. Jehoshaphat and his people came to gather the spoils. They found huge amounts of equipment and valuables among the bodies. So they had brought, you know, I mean, their, their weapons, of course, but they may have also brought defensive things like shields, and obviously um, uh, provisions and you know, wine and food and so forth. They collected so much for themselves that they could not carry it. How long would it take you if you found, after a battle with no enemies around, and you found a soldier with really cool armor and stuff, how long would it take you by yourself to remove his armor and bundle it up so you can carry it home? Maybe longer if you have to untie all kinds of little fiddly things and so forth, an hour or so. So you figure, you know, I mean, if the whole army's doing this, how long would it take to clear the battlefield? Three days. It took them three days to gather the spoils because there was so much. Forgive me for using the calendar of my birth to uh, illustrate this, but I was thinking about it. I was born on Maundy Thursday. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Barakah, beautiful place, where they blessed the Lord. That is why the place is named the Valley of Barakah, which is Baruch is to bless the blessed valley to this day. So lovely, lovely place. And I have no idea what that round thing is in the foreground. I really don't. This is the Valley of Barakah, but is it, it, could it be a, 
I don't know. I mean, it's, it's not a well. It's not a corral. I don't know. A gagapal. It, it could be a wine press. It could be an olive press. It could be a threshing floor. Uh, it could be something modern. It could have nothing to do with, you know, with, with anything else uh, except uh, it could be a modern fire pit. You know, who knows? I don't know. Then all the men of Judah and Jerusalem joyfully returned to Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat as their, at their head because the Lord had given them reason to rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem to the house of the Lord with harps, lyres, and trumpets. That's what a harp looks like. That's what a lyre looks like. And what does a modern trumpet have in common with an ancient silver trumpet? A modern Trumpet is simply an ancient trumpet that's been twisted into a couple of loops. It's the same length, same bell on the ends, a mouthpiece on the other end. Some of our trumpets use valves. Uh, a bugle does not, but the length is identical. So the sound is virtually the same. The dread of the Lord was upon all the kingdoms of the land when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then Jehoshaphat's kingdom was quiet, his God gave him rest on every side. And here we have one more comparison. It's an opposite one with Jeremiah the prophet. Earlier we had the, the phrase sword, famine, plague. And now God gave him rest on every side. In Jeremiah, the phrase is different. It's terror on every side. It's the opposite of this. So just some cool um, affinities with a later prophet. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.